the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back to Signpost. This is going to be your host, Andrew Boylan, here. I'm here with my dad, Pastor William Boylan. We bring you stories every week here on Signposts of the gospel, of how the gospel has influenced the culture. We're, we are constantly looking for signs in the culture of where God is working and how he wants us to how he wants our influence us to be an influence for him in the culture. And in the process of doing that, we often look back at history. We often look at how was America planted. We look at, and today we're, we're going further back. We're going back into the middle ages and we're talking about Martin Luther where we are because Reformation Sunday is coming up in a few weeks. And we thought this was a great time to really delve into, to some of the history of, of, what he did and what Martin Luther's role was um, in reforming the church in in this massive period, in this massive shift that took place in the 1500s. And in the last half hour, we were we had talked about Tetzel, somebody who was uh, had a profound moment in in Luther's life. And I, I want to get right back into that as we um, continue this afternoon here on Signposts. Well, Andrew, that's right. Uh... We were talking about Martin Luther walking home, uh, walking back to the monastery. He was now an Augustinian monk. We talked in the first hour. If you haven't, uh, if you've just joined in, uh, and I'm not going to repeat the first half hour, but uh, just to tell you that uh, there was a dramatic change in the life of Martin Luther. He was going on, he thought, to be a lawyer, and a lightning struck almost killed him, and he took issue. Or he took uh, stock of himself, and he turned around, metaphorically if not really, and went to an Augustinian monastery and became a monk because he felt God was on his case and he better find out how to please God or his his uh, his case would be closed. <laughs> and uh, So anyway, and that's what we were generally talking about, and I was uh, giving an example of what he was up against because he's walking home one day to the monastery and this man is staggering around the street and Luther chastises him for drinking and being drunk. And the man doesn't take this to heart because he's already paid the price. And the price was he bought an indulgence for money from a man named Tetzel who was selling indulgences. So let's they, let's stop and talk about what is an indulgence. How does an indulgence work in in middle in the medieval Europe? What was an indulgence, and who and how do you and how do you buy that? Well, you bought it with money. Okay, <laughs> that's how you bought it. It was a simple transaction. Simple. You paid yep. the money. You got the indulgence, and the indulgence indulged you. In other words, you could keep on sinning with the indulgence. Yes, essentially. And, so you were buying before you sinned. You were buying the indulgence to sin from the church, correct? I think so. I think you can say that this man bought the indulgence and then went on and drank. And matter now, he was uh, not going to have to own up to what he was doing. Right. He, he, he was escaping for the price he paid. He right. Paid, he paid the price. Uh, Christ didn't pay the price. He paid it. He paid it in hard cold cash. Right. And he had a piece of paper to prove it. Yep. And he flashes the paper before Luther. 
Now, were they any were they any sins that you could buy, or the, or were we talking about the seven deadly sins, the seven you know the the Catholic Church has its own as or this period of time had yeah. all sorts of structures of how sin worked, and um, you know so were they were you buying individual like were you buying within a structure of one kind of sin? You know, you're asking me a question I really can't answer. Uh, it's okay. a good question. Uh, but I don't know if I've ever actually read as uh, to the specifics. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I was just I curious as I was the... thinking about how the Middle Ages worked, and I was thinking yeah. about Dante and the Inferno and thinking about the, the writings of that time period, um, and I was trying to put into context indulgences, another word that I had heard over, over time is simony, um, which is to go in and buy your forgiveness for for sins from from the church. Um and so I, I was curious, but this is, uh, but what's inter- but what's interesting to me is, and I obviously I know that you know wh- as we look ahead to where we're going with this is that he, that Luther realizes that buying indulgences is not in the Gospels. That's right, it's not in the Gospels, and it it had a sort of sorted nature about it in the very fact that it was money it was going to be spent to build St. Peter's Cathedral down in Rome. Right. So it wasn't just that the money was going to be squandered, uh, mm-hmm. it was supposedly going to a holy project, the building of St. Peter's Cathedral. Right, absolutely. Yeah. So Luther, uh, obviously he's a brilliant man, if anyone is really interested in pursuing the thoughts of Martin Luther, and you want to read a book that will really fascinate you and I hope uh, illuminate uh, the, the issue of, of the grace of God. It's a book called Freedom of the Will by Martin Luther. It's mm. a, one of the best books I ever read. Honestly, it is. And that's not our subject today, but I just was learning you if you want to go to the library, if they have it, or if you want to find it and uh, you're th- interested in theology, you're interested in the church, you're interested in reformation, you're interested right. in awakening, uh, that book won't hurt. Uh, well, I want to welcome listeners of Signposts here on 1260 The Buzz um, that you can come to PastorBoyland.com and we'll put a link up there to the Amazon page so that you can get this because that I think is a great I, I think that's a great tool to help you if you come away from this episode you know wanting to know more about Luther and getting deeper into his history and really really um, you know elucidating more information this book and you can say the title again and we'll put it up on on the on the website PastorBoyland.com yeah well it's freedom of the will and and that. Is a perennial subject, people and all of us, but uh, particularly uh, people use this expression to mean I can do whatever I choose to do. Uh, I'm at liberty. That's why. That's what God made me as a human to be able to do is to use my will for whatever I want. But uh, and often don't think of the limits of the will. In fact, we you know so obvious, but uh, we can't will ourselves into the position where we can jump over the moon. Right. In other words, there are limits and restrictions be called reality. And uh, one of the realities which Luther deals with in Barnes of the Will, by the way, since we brought, I brought up the subject, or at least I brought up the uh, title, uh, one of the things that uh, is dealt with in there is, is not going to go away fast. It's probably something you've thought about. If you're listen, listening to us today, I've certainly thought about it. But it's the fact that... Uh, it, it's it's not in the nature of free will to be able to change what we will. <laughs> now that sounds uh, that sounds complicated. Maybe maybe it sounds a little bit obscure. But what I'm really saying is that uh, we we uh, come into the world with a given nature, 
Mm. And we can we can choose anything we want, but we cannot always choose what we want. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 what we want that uh, drives our will. We will to have what we want, mm. and we call that human nature. And human nature has gone sour. It's gone bad. We've fallen. We've sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We're born that way. We didn't become that way. Uh, the first thing we probably said to our parents was no, mm. <laughs> which is a good sign of what's going on in the human nature. Yes, definitely. We want our own way. Right. We don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to go somebody else's way. We want our own way. Right. And we were created to want God's way. Yeah. And that's not the way we want. Yeah. And so we're not free to choose God's way because we don't want it. <laughs> and we're not free to cho to change our nature. And by the way, in the Bible, it's in the book of Jeremiah, that question is asked, and it makes it obvious. It says, can, a, can a, a leopard change its spots? Can it, by an act of will, mm. change what it is? No. What about our skin colors? Can we, by our will, change our skin color? Mm. No. It's the nature of who we are. We, right. We're born that way. And so it is. That free will means something, but it doesn't mean what we often mean by it. And I have read very few writers who have plumbed the depths of that better than Martin Luther. Mm, yeah. The, the freedom of the will. Freedom of the will. Yeah, I know. Well, I, you can come find freedom of the will at pastorboylan.com. And as a reminder to anybody who's just tuning in, we're, this is Signposts. We're a ministry here on 1260 The Buzz. And... We are talking today about Martin Luther, and this the book that I just mentioned is about Martin Luther, but we're talking about the freedom of the will. We're talking about what, you know, and the things, the searches that he had and the tenets of the scripture that he brought to, to bear to change the church as it was in the 1500s. And um, we were talking about, during all this, we were talking about buying indulgences, and we were talking about Tetzel. And his this this moment that he had when he was walking at night and he came across a drunken man that he chastised for being drunk and that man pulled out indulgences from his shirt and put them in front of him and you know and as we and where did that go where did that take Martin Luther when well, you after this incident in the in the nighttime well of course uh, in, in all of that he had been teaching and he'd been teaching as I said uh, in the last half hour uh, just to repeat what was going on just to catch us up. Yeah, he taught on the Psalms, and he discovered there were certain things in the Psalms that led him to believe that God was much more gracious than he thought he was. Mm. And, then he, and then he read, uh, he taught Galatians. And as he got into the book of Galatians, it even became more clear that there's something marvelous going on here. He came across verses like the first verse of chapter 5 in the book of Galatians, for freedom Christ has set you free. Mm. Therefore, don't become slaves again to those old bondages. Uh, well, he, he has certainly lived a, a man bound up in his fears of what it was going to be like when he died and faced the wrath of God. Uh, that was one of his great fears. And he realized that that was no longer a fear for Paul. And remember who Paul is. The Apostle Paul wasn't always the Apostle Paul. Paul says himself in one of his letters that he had tried to destroy the church of God. Mm. I mean, he was he was God's arch enemy, 
uh, he, now, he didn't believe the church was of God when he was doing it. It wasn't as if he knew and did it. He did it in his blindness and his ignorance, but he did it. And he said, and, and God forgave me that. And God cleansed that. Nothing, uh, Paul had had people, I'm sure, put to death. He had arrested them, brought them to trial, had them stoned. Mm. He gave, well, I know he did with Stephen. Stephen was a deacon of the early church. Uh, and he was arrested for his crime was Christ. Mm. He believed in Christ and he was proclaiming him. And uh, they, the authorities were saying, well, Christ was himself a blasphemer, so that makes you a blasphemer. Mm. And so they lined him up against the wall and they were going to, to stone him with rocks. That's how they executed people, Jewish folk in the first century. Yep. And uh, we're told in that passage, I believe it's chapter 7 of Acts, if anybody wants to read it, that uh, there was a man named Saul holding the coats. Well, it isn't just that uh, they didn't know what to do with the coats. That was a way of author authorizing the mm. death. So Saul is saying, you have my authority, because Saul was a member of the Jewish court. He right. was a member of the Sanhedrin. Absolutely. And so when he said, go, do, go to it, for instance, he was given the authority of the state, in a way, to execute Stephen. Mm. So... So he should have had Stephen on his conscience because, and and maybe that's what he's referring to. He said, I tried to destroy the church of, of God. Mm. I mean, Paul went to Damascus, which uh, today would drive there an hour and a half from Jerusalem. But in Paul's day, you had a caravan to get up there. Mm. It was a long walk, uh, 90 miles north to Damascus. And he never got into the city, at least initially, because at the gate, Christ met him in a blaze of fire and, well, not fire, light. Mm. Light so profound, it, it blotted up the light of the sun. And we're talking about the Arabian Desert. We're not talking about the North Pole in winter. We're talking about the, the desert uh, mm. with the, the sun sh almost blinding you in a normal case. And now the sun, with great, or at least the light with greater intensity, blinds Paul. Mm. And he hears a voice out of the light. And the voice says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Mm. And Saul says, Who are you, Lord? Can you imagine <clears throat> what it felt like to the Apostle Paul when the voice comes back and says, I am Jesus. Right. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Whatever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Right. Can you imagine yeah. what happened to Saul's mind? It must have short-circuited. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean, this was something. No, it, it absolutely. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's um it's tremendous to think about those well, moments. And, and so when 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 the apostle Paul sits down and pens his letter as a Christian to the Galatians, he says, "For freedom, Christ has set you free." He's really thinking of his own experience on the Damascus Road. I I survived meeting the God that I. I'm, I'm his enemy. I'm killing his people. He's just revealed himself to me. I've, I've betrayed him, and, and I'm still alive. Right. The implication is, what's happened? Well, what happened was God had decided to spare him by his grace. Right. And now as Paul, he did for all of us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the only and as way. We, and, I mean, I think that that gets to the heart of why we're here today on signposts yeah. to talk about, yeah. you know, is that that is yeah. what Jesus did for each and every one of us, that we could be, you know, annihilated in an instant, that that's what we deserve to be, to be struck down, at, you know, as and but instead we are given 
that grace. We're given that moment to continue and and to and through that miraculous intervention to see the world a different way and to say here's our here, we're at a we're constantly looking for signs that's the sign <laughs> right there in front of us um to go yes absolutely can i can i veer off this for just yes. a second to give a good illustration that people might be helped by yes because maybe somebody's out there who was like me i 21 years ago i was uh I was just as much an enemy of the gospel as Paul could ever have been. I, I was dead in my trespasses and sins and thought that the things that I enjoyed and the life that I had decided to live was going to last forever. Uh, you know, when you're young and you're, you're uh, well, particularly a teenager, uh, death is not real. Well, God made it real to me. Not that I was about to die, but I was about to wish I was dead <laughs> because of what I had done. And uh, so I, I, but I'd like to bring something to mind because uh uh, I, uh, my son, Andrew, here, sitting beside me knows this, but you may not know it, that uh, uh, God really, for some reason, got me interested in the book of Revelation. Now, I know everybody's interested in the book of Revelation. They want to know when the end is going to come and how it'll come and where they'll be. And, uh, and, and, and there's some of that in there. But uh, the book of Revelation is much more profound. Mm. The book of Revelation is pulling the veil aside and letting us see, letting us see God and what it means for the world that there is a God and what he's all about. Mm. And for a believer, for a believer, uh, it's even more profound. I mean, uh, uh, any person can read if they understand the symbols, uh, because it's a book of symbols. It's written in symbolic language, but not that the things aren't literally true. They're literally true, but they're given to us in a symbolic form. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's simply true what, what's told us in the book of Revelation, those symbols is simply true. But for believers, there's something more profound about it. And I discovered that uh, as a believer, going into the book of Revelation, that this, this, and what, you know, I'm being a little abstract. Let me be more concrete. The book of Revelation says to me, things are not as they appear. It looks like to you with your eyes and your ears that you are sitting at a desk with two microphones one for your son and one for you it looks like there's a switchboard and it is of course it is on the on the level of experience I'm that's exactly what I'm looking at but there's something deeper there's something more profound there's something mm. more real than this table that I feel is so real because my it's holding me up as I put my elbows on it. There's something more real than that. Mm. And the book of Revelation is pulling aside the veil showing what's me what's really real. Mm. And what it shows me is where I am as far as God is concerned. You know, the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus when he writes his letter to them, he says, we are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Mm. Well, that's much that's much more profound than being seated here at this table that I can knock on and talk into a microphone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to be seated in heaven. But and it doesn't say you will be, it says you are. So it's opening up a whole vista of mm. reality that changes the way I look at sitting here at the table. If I understand where I really am, it changes the dynamics. It changes the the, the significance. It changes the profundity. It changes everything. Now, why do I say that? Because if you go, and you, you can do it, and get a Bible, open it up to Revelation, look at chapter, chapters 4 and 5 in particular, read, uh, read those verses as if it's telling you uh, where 
everything stands in the way God sees it, not the way we see it. Mm. And it says that, first of all, that God's in charge of the world. And you see, well, you see, you see a throne, right? Yep. And then you see one seated on the throne, and he's spectacular. Lights flashing. It's, it's just, uh, he's uh, got white hair that is perfectly white because he's ancient of days. He's never going to die. He's got uh, eyes of flaming fire because he sees everything for what it really is. He, he sees penetrating vision. Mm -hmm. I mean, the symbols are there. Absolutely. But, but, but what's interesting to me in the light of Martin Luther mm -hmm. and the Reformation and what we're talking about is the fact that as as the rest of the created order is exposed to us, because everything that is, God has made, or that wouldn't be here. Mm. So you have four living creatures, one with the face of a lion, one with the face of a man, one with the face of an eagle, uh, and uh, a, 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 I think it's a bear for strength. Uh, I, I think that's a symbol of the fact that God created nature. Mm. Okay? Everything. But then, before you get to the next ring of created beings, there's a rainbow. Now, you say, why did it tell us that? That around the throne is a rainbow. Then you have elders around the rainbow. Mm. Now, I, I don't have time uh, on our one-hour program to go into all the rationale for this, but I think the elders are us, mm. believers. And the reason I think so is because later, if you keep reading, keep reading to chapter 5, and you'll find out that there's something wrong. There's a scroll in the hand of the one seated on the throne, and for some reason, until those words get released and said, they can't happen. Mm. And the words are all about history of the world and its future and where it's going. And it's going nowhere if you can't break those scroll, the seals and get the scroll open and get the words out. Yep. Yeah. God, God acts on his words. Seal him up, and he doesn't act. Right. And that's why John the Apostle is looking at this whole scene. He's the one that wrote it. And he begins to cry, weep. It's, it's, it's as if it's a symbol, too. The, it's over. Cash it in. Go home. Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. The scroll is sealed. There's no future. There's mm. no hope. There's no God. There's no heaven. There's no nothing. And he cries. And one of the elders comes up. And he, and he takes him on the shoulder. He says, don't weep, John. The Lion of Judah has conquered. Mm. And he can open that scroll. Who has that message? I do. You do. Absolutely. The church does. The elders of the church. Right. <laughs> and I find it extraordinarily interesting that they can't and no one can see God for who he really is until they see him through the rainbow. Mm. It's the only way you can see God is looking at him through the rainbow. Oh, wow. And what's the rainbow? It is a promise of mercy right. and of grace to Noah. Absolutely. Not going to destroy the world again. And and I think, maybe I'm wrong, but what I think is in the ancient world, warriors, when they were finished fighting their wars, hung their bow over the fireplace. And I think God hung his bow in the heavens because mm. he's not going to strike the world anymore. He's going to send his son that yep. whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. What a powerful. Oh, that is powerful. That's a, a powerful way to end the show. It's unbelievable that an hour has already gone by. But Well, ask people to tune in next week because I think we should continue this. Oh, okay. I think we will. I mean, I think that we have a lot more to touch on with um, with Martin Luther. We, we haven't, I think, scratched the surface. So I think 
next week we'll continue to talk about Martin Luther, but and also where that where Martin Luther really dovetails with our ideas and with why we're here here at signposts, why you tune into signposts, you know, as we look for signs in our chaotic time where we live in now and try to figure out how, what God wants from us, how God wants us to influence the world um, and, and be the bearer of his word every day in our lives. And we believe that by looking back at the past, looking back at these people who came before us and who set the table that we sit at now, we use them as our signs and our signposts as we go forward. So I want to just thank you and urge you to come to PastorBoylan.com where you can find out more about what we what we believe here at Signpost, what we do here. And we're always looking for your input, we're looking to hear what you want to hear about. And uh, thank you very much and have a lovely week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.